Clay. I know you're not a super fan of watching the credits for TV shows. Uh, have you been skipping the Deadwood intro, the the theme song at this point? I generally have, yeah. Yeah. Although, not this one, because for some reason, I think because of the name, they replaced the Deadwood theme with Dr. Wu, mm-hmm. the Steely Dan song. <laughs> Which I thought was, was very progressive. <laughs> Which was both rocking and not at the same time. <laughs> it's very uh, uh, sarcastic and dark. <laughs> um, kind of like the show. There's a, I, I think I sort of identified like a little problem I have with the theme song is that I think it's, it's border. It's like a hair too close to having a kind of theme song that should feature the characters like given the finger guns to the camera and then freeze frame <laughs> it's, it. like, it's like yeah it's kind of close to like the hey dude theme song it's a little bit too it's a little bit too close to where i could picture al swearingen just kind of like winking at the camera and then freezing as it says like al swearingen and yellow fonts underneath him mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's a little Doing bit that too thing close. where they do a thing where they like just turn to the camera and like smirk and smile or and just chuckle they just give like a head nod yeah. laugh and then it freeze frames it, it is um it's a little bit too close to that, but yeah, I've I've been watching it just to see if I what I think about it. And I, I continue to go back what I talked about in the pilot is just it's not my favorite theme song. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not my uh, favorite HBO theme song of the era, um, which is still I don't think we mentioned in the pilot. It's still Sopranos for me, just because I think of how that's just a cool introduction that was uh, mm. kind of cutting edge at the time. But anyway, here's Mr. Wu, which is the next episode of Deadwood that we're going to talk about. So we're going to play the music, we'll come back, and we'll break it down. You're listening to a podcast that is a lie agreed upon. Join Wes and Clay as they discuss HBO's Deadwood and tell you something pretty. This episode is called Mr. Wu, directed by Daniel Minahan, written by Brian McDonald. It's the 10th episode in the 12-episode first season. In this one, Mr. Wu causes an uproar by using the front door of the gem. Wu furiously explains to Swearingen that two white cocksuckers killed his courier and stole a shipment of opium. Two bagmen from the magistrate arrive, and Al curses the messenger, Silas Adams. The junkie Jimmy Irons admits that he and fellow dope fiend Leon jumped Wu's courier. Reverend Smith is having a world of a time listening to the piano at the gym. Eddie Sawyer tells Joni that he'll bankroll her new saloon. I'm going to rob Cy, he says. Al tells Wu he can kill one of the cocksuckers who killed his courier, but two whites for one Chinese is out of the question. Swearingen meets with Sai to determine which dope fiend will go. I don't deliver white men to chinks, Tolliver says. Al reveals to Adams that the magistrate's letter demanded more money to settle the old murder beef. Al drowns Irons in a bathtub and delivers him to Wu's pigs. So this is one of my favorite episodes of the season, um, which is fun when you get to it. Uh, We get to meet Wu in this one. Uh, We get to meet a lot of characters who have not made an appearance yet so far. Uh, Hostetler, the black livery. Uh, owner is mm. in this one. He talks Bullock. I I was uh, <clears throat> a little bit confused by what was going on there because I had I was pretty sure I'd never seen that guy before, so I wasn't totally sure what was going on with him and Bullock. Gotcha. Do you know? Do you know now what what is happening? Uh, he was maybe going to buy something, but he's buying land for a house so he can move his family out. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's Hostetler. He is he owns the like the stables in town and obviously some other prime real estate that he's uh, selling out. 
uh, Richardson, who run, who works with E.B. Farnham, makes his first uh, uh, talking appearance in this one. And then you met Silas Adams, and you uh, I think that's everybody who's introduced. Bosch the, rolled the town. Yeah, the, the Bosch is here. Amazon.com <laughs> says that. We're not watching it on Amazon, I don't think, but it would it'd just pop up every time you'd watch it on Amazon. It'd just say watch Bosch right after this one. Uh, yeah, but the town's getting crowded. In the story, the town is getting crowded, and it's getting more crowded now with characters who are being added as well. But this is Mr. Wu. It is a fun episode, in my opinion, that uh, gets Al back to his sort of gangster ways of trying to figure out what he's going to do with a certain situation. It shows him bouncing around between the characters, and then you get a uh, couple decent scenes out of everybody. So what would you think of this one? It was good. Uh, yeah, I... I definitely feel like they are fighting against making Al like a sympathetic character because they keep writing these amazing scenes for Ian McShane, who is so amazingly charismatic, um, that are very fun, but tend to sand some of the edge off Al in certain ways. Um, And so it feels like this one in particular, they're tempering that by reminding everybody that he's still... Uh, as you said, he's still a gangster who's willing to to kill people when he has to to make something right, or you know, for whatever reason. Yeah, they even still temper it here, though. He's obviously sympathetic yeah. to the mm-hmm. reverend and stuff like that. Um, and he has they're so good at it too, because the the way that they write his dialogue in that scene where he he yells at the doctor is it's like a it's like a sympathy sandwich sort of where he's angry he yells about stuff he's angry about and then in the middle he gives like the littlest amount of compassion and then he goes back to being angry and you take the whole thing away being like he's not i mean he's angry but he's he also does care about this guy yeah even he's fr- if he frustrated want to admit it. frustrated angry is what he's yeah. Uh, yeah yeah because that dialogue the um that scene is so well played and the dialogue is so smart because he starts out angry and then it's the same thing he did with um, Jewel, which is that when Al shows concern, it's he starts asking questions about what other people's situations are like. Mm-hmm. Um, that's his way of sort of saying of showing um, as much concern as he can show. And then, of course, the doc tells him that his uh, other people's state of mind is not his business, and, and leaves the, the situation at that. And then Al comes out yelling, about, <laughs> yelling about buy some pussy, buy some whiskey. Uh, let's start making some money to revert back to himself. But yeah, he's. He he's continually um he's being bounced back and forth between those two ends of his extreme. He deals with the Reverend in two scenes here, and one of them is a very sympathetic scene, and the second one is somewhat sympathetic, but still more driven by his bottom line is what is going to uh, drive his actions in a lot and in most ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so he throws the Reverend out after the first more sympathetic scene he's- where he reminds him of his brother. That's the thing, right? He also it also has that undercurrent to it where he's probably throwing him out because he doesn't want to deal with it because he knows what it's like. You know, yes. yeah, he, yeah. you know what I mean? That, he, that kind of thing. He's also sparing the Reverend embarrassment for being there in a way. Right. Too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a f- amazing character. It's a lot of, um, I think he's great. And this one, it's a very McShane heavy Swearingen heavy episode. Um, mm. we meet, we meet Mr. Wu, who's the titular character, or he's been in the background of a few episodes, but this is his first major speaking role. If uh, you've ever felt an, an aversion to the word cocksucker, this is like <laughs> this immersion is- therapy for you, this episode, <laughs> because when you come out the other end, you're going to be like, you know, that word doesn't really, 
have much meaning to me anymore. No. I'm not sure why. You could say the Thanksgiving dinner. Pass me the potatoes, cocksucker, to your grandmother, and they'll just come right on over. No, you just hold up. When they say, how many do you want? One roll or two? You hold up one finger. You go, cocksucker. (laughs) And then they hold up (laughs) two fingers, and you shake your head no, and you say, cocksucker. They get it. Uh, Wu is... So Wu's kind of neat here. They have the very funny Wu's on first <laughs> sequence, which is their <laughs> opening scene, um, talking about uh, trying to figure out wh- who stole the dope and where the dope came from. Uh, Swearingen has my one of my favorite lines about, I'm <laughs> so, uh, Wu just says cocksucker, and he says, yeah, I'm fucking glad I taught you that word. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is really funny. And But Wu's fun because Wu is the closest thing that Al has to a equal in the camp, I think. Mm. And the funny thing is that he can't communicate with him. So yeah. the the first season has kind of been a sense of like Al tried to be friendly with Cy for a little while to like sort of be like, here's a white guy that knows what I'm up to and I'm up to the same things and we can maybe be friendly with each other. He had those lines in the early episode about like brass fucking balls. This guy sees the long con and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. this episode is kind of showing that Cy, Al was wrong about Cy, that Cy doesn't have long-term vision in the way that he does and he can't be outright friendly with Wu for like the sort of cultural norms of the day and because it would start a a beef with Tolliver that would go uh, ugly but it's neat that you know the interaction between the two of Wu and Swearingen is much more friendly and warm even though it's bathed in like racism and sort of insults towards each other Mm. other. it's much more um, genial than the Tolliver and Al relationship when those two have one scene in this one where Al goes in to talk to Tolliver at the bar and they just do not get along with each other. So Tolliver's kind of like that guy, <clears throat> or I should say that person, like when you go to when you go to get to college or you get to a new school or a new job or something, there's always one person who you meet where you go, Okay, I'm gonna be friends with this person. I just know it. And then after like three weeks, you're like, ah, this ain't working. And then you find somebody else that you don't expect to be friends with. Right. <clears throat> that's woo. Yes. <laughs> you know, the, you, f- you find the person you didn't think you had something in common with ends up being the one you have the most in common with, and the third person you thought you had the most in common with you don't have anything in common with. Yes, yep. Um, yeah, it's it's fun. That 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 cocksucker scene reminded me a bit of the, the fuck scene from, from uh, yeah. The Wire. A lot being said with one word. Yes, yeah. This this is one of you, huh? Oh, <laughs> Oh, this, this is him dead. Uh, oh. yeah. and, and these two. Bakwailogi. Cocksucker. Yeah, glad I taught you that fucking word. These are whites, huh? Uh, white cocksucker. Two white cocksuckers killed him and stole the dope that he was bringing to you. White cocksucker. You switching. The dope that you were going to fucking sell to me? White cocksucker! These two white cocksuckers? Who the fuck did it? Who? Who, you ignorant fucking chink? Who? 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 Who stole the fucking dope? Cocksucker! Oh, Jesus. Wu is basically the Chinatown boss, really. Mm -hmm. That's his sort of place in this. They have the the funny... um, sequence where they go to talk about business and they buy the meat from them but then al has to like sort of act as if Wu is get is always getting one over on him because they're mm-hmm. both interested in sort of um 
keeping their people on their side, so they have to play up each other in front it's, of the other one. This show is so. I, again, I feel like it's it's it continues to skew towards comedy. Um, in pointing out how Al is just seemingly one of the only competent people in the entire camp, even the people he trusts are just morons. Yeah. And as much as I like Dan, they do the great bit when they come out of the of, of the cooler and he explains to Dan why he has to keep safe face. And then Dan Dan goes, It's a real good piece of meat. <laughs> <laughs> and then he turns to him and he's like then take a piece of it i don't give a shit and then he goes it's real fine meat and like al doesn't realize he's trying to be in on the grift or, yeah. or and it's on the it's act so of, good. of, of yeah. pumping things up yeah. yeah it's so good real nice piece of meat yep yeah it's a it's a that's the woo relationship which is um brings up these be fair What's it that? did look like a nice piece. To be fair, it did look like it a nice was. piece It was. That's, that's yeah. like $3,000 in contemporary yeah. money worth of, <laughs> yeah. of meat that they gave him for free. Uh, I was, I was impressed. How did they cool the cooler? No idea. I was thinking the same thing. No clue. They must have a way of... I mean, I guess I don't know what season it is. Maybe it's the winter or maybe it's like the fall and they can go get snow from somewhere and bring it in. But they're, they're, you can see their breath when they're inside the, yeah, the meat locker. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, you could see uh, Bullock's breath at night in the night scene. And this is also, this is like South Dakota, right? Yes. So they're pretty high up. Yeah, that's true. It's it's probably pretty high. There's probably mountains around that they can go get some snow or something. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that's what I was, I was wondering how they, how they kept things cool. Cause you uh, make sure you cook that meat. Well, Dan, don't, don't undercook. Don't try to get creative or artistic with that. Yeah, for real. Um. Yeah, so I mean, the central central plot of the episode is Wu, uh, Swearingen trying to work out how to save face and do the right thing for Wu while also maintaining a uh, a level of respectability among Sai and, and the rest of the the white settlement people, just mm-hmm. so he doesn't upset the the apple cart and lead to a whole thing where the town thinks that he's more sympathetic to, than to a white person. Uh, the racism angle is big here. Uh, mm-hmm. Al uses a lot of racist language towards Wu, but you still get the sense that he's warmer to Wu than he is to a lot of the other people in town. Um, there's some funny line, like Johnny Burns is weirdly kind of racist against uh, yeah. Asian people. <laughs> he has the line that those people worship a fat man who sits on yes. his ass. <laughs> I'm shocked that he knows that. I know. Like that seems like he knows he they knows more about, about Buddhism than I would expect that guy too he's well read he's he's one of the yeah, well read ed- uh, racist terror he's the he's one of the racists who wears like a, a vest and makes a youtube video yes. about it um yeah he's he's funny like he he's such a moron yeah the, f- the first scene with him is is really funny uh when they pass down the line of who's going to clean up the puke is very funny yeah <laughs> yeah the junkies are um an interesting thing the um I don't know if there's anywhere in particular that you would want to start. There's, there's, it's not a super dense episode, I don't think. It largely focuses on the Al plots. It has a little bit yeah. that's going on in the sidelines with like the Reverend and Bullock and stuff like that. But it's largely um, kind of pared down in a lot of ways. The scenes that don't feature the Al stuff feel like they are building on stuff that has happened before, like Charlie yeah. Utter and Joni and stuff like that in the line. So I don't know if yeah. you have anywhere that you want to start with. Um. 
Not particularly. Th- you know, it, it was. I actually really liked the way the episode was structured because you have this. <clears throat> excuse me, this Al plot that's central to it, but sort of the beauty of this show is all of the characters are well drawn enough that you can kind of dip in for a couple minutes to do a bit of a vignette and then veer off back to whatever the main plot is yeah and it doesn't really feel distracting so you can start off with eb walking around town like he's king shit <laughs> which is god the, the characters in the show are amazing always good to speak with the health inspector <laughs> <laughs> oh, so great. And that he's walking around like he's he's the the king of the mountain and then he goes into the gem and sort of like moves the moves the story over to Al. Yeah, Al true. immediately like backhands him down verbally. <laughs> and and anything like, the mayor should know about. Yes. The name of a new tailor. And you know, so it it has that it, it's so fluid in the way that it can, you know, move around where you get the scene where everybody's waiting in line for breakfast, which gets you this, the, the bit where Merrick and uh, uh, Saul and Bullock are talking, but then you also get a little bit of movement with Bullock and what the hell's her name? Alma. Alma. You get the wor- the girl starts talking, so that moves out a little bit. Yep. Then Charlie comes in, and he's sitting with Joan. I, 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 I hope that the Charlie and Joni thing continues, because I love the two of them together. Yeah, they're very The funny. way that she's so, um, uh, what's the word? Um, subtly, I don't know if subtly is not the right word, but she's helping him to advance his station in very subtle ways ways yeah by like he sits down and then the the merrick and the other two get up to go for a walk and she kind of like gives him the nudge to go walk with them to establish himself it's just so great and like it's they're they are a uh the two of them together is like a bob seger song (laughs) today where it's like it's like the guy it's like we've got tonight but in deadwood where it's the guy who who who's who's got nothing Yep. And he's just a, a a man of the road, meets the woman who's got nothing, and she's just trying to figure things out. And they're yep. like, you know what? They support each what other. If we, what if we just support each other for a little bit? Yeah. It's yeah. great. And it's just, it's so it's so seamless the way that they kind of like flow through these different things. It's great. Yeah. It's a good point. They, um, the, the show is able to, and it's the way, as we mentioned, the, the production being in a lived in, not a lived in space, but like a real space that yeah. everything can be sort of moved around and the camera can go to different places. Uh, the town exists in like, it's not sets. It, well, it, it is a, a set, but it's a giant set that exists as if it was a real settlement. So you can move, sort of move around in real space. Um, they do move between things pretty well. They never linger too long on any of the scenes. I, I like Charlie and Joni just because... Um, Dane Kelly is one of the uh, stronger actors, or I think, on it. Like he's always just very enjoyable to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, the two of them together are very pleasant in a way that is kind of rare. Like they, a lot of the characters have a little bit more antagonism between them when they talk to each other. Those two don't, and it's also just um, it continues. It just continues to build on the like all all the cylinders are firing now in terms of like the settlement coming together. So the, the plots are being revealed, which is that like, in addition to the machinations of Al having to pay these bribes for the politicians and doing his nefarious shit with the junkies about sort of maintaining order and making sure that everybody's happy in the long run. It's also pairing it with like genuine character friendship building between people. 
Mm-hmm. And I think it's just the show just does a really good job of capturing like all the various aspects that go into a larger organism forming in this town, which is made up of like real sincere feelings. And it's also made up of the like the political aspect that drives a lot of the stuff like EB being obsessed with his his prestige and his role of having these titles. Um, Bullock bouncing back and forth between being the angry guy, but he's also unable to avoid being the guy who thinks that there are ways that things should be. Like he, he takes his job mm-hmm. as the health commissioner very seriously and wants to form a dump, uh, which is funny. And then it's just Al um, doing what he needs to do with the bribes and with the killing of people that need killing. I will say, I think the bribes plot is a little dense. Um, n- not in, in what's going on, but just the, the stuff that's going on there is so obliquely talked about. Yes, they, they, don't, they, don't, bit, they don't hit the... They assume that you know what is going on when they're talking about things. Yeah, it, it can be a little bit hard to follow. Like you, it's, it's one of those things where you've got this scene between Al and Bosch and you can more or less get out that, okay, this other thing that even the, the thing about having the, the murder warrants out on him in Chicago or wherever, yep. that is so quickly dropped in the last episode where they establish it that it's kind of tough to track when he brings it up here, but you can also kind of figure out what's going on. And then later on in the episode when he's hanging out with Bosch and he brings Bosch over to uh, to watch to the bathhouse, do whatever, and then they kind of part. And I'm like, I I was I wasn't sure what the end of that episode that relationship was supposed to be. Does Bosch work for him now? Yes. Okay, so that's is that, is that why he gives him the money back? Yes. Okay. All right. So it's one of those things where it's like what they're saying is is kind of hard to parse, but I feel like you can more or less get the gist of it. Yeah. No. It's. Um, it also has my favorite. Might be my favorite line in the whole series so far, which is when uh, Al calls Bosch a motherfucker, and then he, he says something else, and then Bosch responds with, "You think you should have asked that before you motherfucked me?" <laughs> and that becomes a sticking point for him. Like he comes back to it later. He's like, "That's why you should have motherfucked me, Al." <laughs> Name's Silas Adams. I'm looking for E.B. Farnham. I'm Mayor E.B. Farnham, Mr. Adams. And this is Al Swearingen. I'm to give this to you from Magistrate Claggett. And you're to give those to me. Put yourself and your friend a drink. Stop. You motherless fucking whores. Fuck you. Fuck me, gentlemen. You know what he says here? No. You think you should have asked me that before you motherfucked me? A double-crossing cocksucker. That's Magistrate Claggett. Is that the message you want me to take back to him? That's the gist of it. Let me put it a better way before I send you and your mute friend back down the fucking trail. No later than tonight. You giving me a time limit? Yeah. Pussy and whiskey free if you want it. I'll make my own arrangements. Yeah, they thought, uh, EB thought they were going to throw down. There was a lot of table slamming and, and everything else going on there. Uh, Bosch's name. Is that, can you bring that, can we, can we bring that back into modern parlance? Like if someone calls you a motherfucker and then you can respond with, are you seriously going to motherfuck <laughs> me right now? <laughs> you know, it's, um, 
we talked about it in the pilot or the the introduction episode. It's just a word that has lost its uh, pure meaning of what it means. Like the the insult mm-hmm. goes beyond just being called a fucker, basically, right? Like, yeah. Um, I, I was thinking the other, like I was um, I was just kind of thinking about it the other day, and I it doesn't like uh, I don't know how you think about the word. I always thought that there was an incestuous aspect to it but i guess you could just be calling someone who fucks other people's mothers right yeah i assume it's probably the incestuous angle yeah well, that's the most insulting that's, i mean yeah you know. it's the most dishonorable thing to do yeah i mean I guess, if you yeah. like if you like older women you like older women what yeah, is was that lonely mean? island song uh, with the it has has like um, oh yeah yeah, Susan uh, Sarandon uh, is one of yes. them. Yeah, yeah, I'm a motherfucker. I'm a- you're a motherfucker. <laughs> we should fuck each other's mothers. <laughs> fuck each other's moms. <laughs> one of my favorites. It's, we were actually, I was watching History of the World Part 1, the Mel Brooks movie the other night. Yep. And I, I, I only watched that movie once, maybe 25 years ago. And there's an amazing joke when they're in ancient Rome and they cut to oedipus who's wandering around with his you know blind he's like help i need does anybody have any money and then gregory hines walks by and oedipus goes oh hello and he goes hey what's up motherfucker (laughs) (laughs) very good yep that's uh that's we when we went into world war ii and the african-american slang came in it was a lot of that stuff going on yeah it's uh so the word in this show at least holds um the meaning that it's supposed to like mm. i think the show is pretty consistent with its language actually like they um like cunt is still a throw down and fight insult when they call each other that yeah you know it's different yeah. from cocksucker it's there's and and the words are consistent in they draw specific reactions from people if they get called things cocksucker is just kind of a um cocksucker just covers like everything basically like it, it could be a friendly thing it could be a angry thing it could be an annoyed thing but the other yeah. words carry more specific meaning like motherfucker does. You know, this is a bit of a tangent, but I always thought this was amusing to me about, you know, words losing their meaning or or gaining meanings that they didn't have before or whatever. Um, <clears throat> I remember a handful of years ago, uh, there was a, a move to to get rid of the term butthurt sure. because of its perceived homophobic connotations. Oh, okay. And I, and I was thinking like, how come nobody has ever come after cocksucker? Because, like, what do you think that means? Like, what do you think the implications are there? I think it's 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 on the package, right? Yes. And no one ever came after that one. I, th- I think everybody likes it too much. <laughs> it's a fun word to bounce around. Yeah. I mean, it's um. Listen to this show. It's it's like it's like poetry when you use it right. The characters in this show don't cause, see because cocksucker to me. <laughs> It's, Can we clip out this conversation? It doesn't... Um, <laughs> Put this on YouTube. <laughs> this, this is the trailer. Because um, yeah. cocksucker, I know it has that homosexual implication, but it doesn't really come to mind for me. Like, that's not... No, really, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like, that's what it is. I mean, that's what you're implying, right? I mean, What's there your, is no implication. To a man, but I, I, you, can, you could say it to a woman, I think. Like, th- these characters don't, and, yeah. and so maybe that's the implication, but it doesn't... Um, it doesn't, you know. It's it's not as loaded as cunt. I don't think. It, like mm-hmm. in in terms of what it means in our society and what it means here, which it seems like it's more of a derogatory, like uh, calling someone a bitch. Like it's like the ex- excessive bitch calling right. uh, uh, yeah. insult. Um, 
but yeah, cocksucker just seems kind of it's so jovial. It just has so many yeah. it has so many consonants <laughs> in it that it just kind of jingles around. It's just around. fun to say. It's very satisfying. <laughs> just rolls around in the mouth as you will. Um, <laughs> let me just scoop my cravat out of the bacon here. Um, yeah, and Wu, the Wu scene um, culminates in one of my favorite scenes of the show so far, which is the bathhouse murder scene with Al and mm-hmm. Jimmy Irons and Leon and uh, Silas Adams, who is Bosch, <laughs> is in the background. Uh, oh, I guess I, just, wanted, I wanted to clarify no. those two. Just so you know, mm-hmm. I'm never going to call him Silas <laughs> Adams. <laughs> Even if he introduces himself, says Silas. Yep, he's um. He looks like his mother fucked a monkey, but he is an interesting <laughs> character uh, who will become. He is basically hired by Al at the end of this, and he becomes a member of the Gem Crew going forward. I think so. <clears throat> excuse me. The thing that I was having trouble tracking is why. Yeah, I was. I was going to try to explain this. I guess. So yeah. If you want to introduce it, I can kind of explain what's going on. Yeah, the 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 the, oh, the the obtuse language here isn't so much that it ends with him joining up with Al. It's I I wasn't totally sure what was being said that had um convinced Bosch to be, to join the team. Yeah. Um yeah, so basically the setup is that uh, Silas Adams Bosch is the bag man who's coming to make the deal with Swearingen. He comes into town. I'm sure you got this this part. Yes. Um, also, sorry, his name's Silas Adams. That's like two, like one step away from his real name, which is Titus Welliver. They just should have used that. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's yeah, Titus Welliver sounds like he could exist in this this yes, world yeah. here. He's he's another NYPD blue uh, holdover. I think uh, same oh, really? same as I um, know that. I think Hosteller's actor's name is Grant or Gant, I think. Mm-hmm. And he, he's also an NYPD Blue character. Um, but yeah, so, so Adams comes into town to get the bribe. Uh, he delivers the letter from the Magistrate Claggett, which upsets Al because the letter says that he's not just going to be happy with the what they agreed upon before to get rid of the murder warrant on him. He needs to pay him more money. So mm-hmm. Al considers that to be duplicitous. The bonding comes from the fact that Al has that conversation with Silas and he talks about how uh, Claggett is basically untrustworthy and that he he infers through the conversation that Silas doesn't think much of, of Claggett either. And the rest of the episode is to bring Silas in and sort of test him to see how he would handle things and what his like response to all these questions about what Al should do would be and mm-hmm. to build trust with him going forward to show him that Al is a thoughtful person in a way that Claggett is not, is the way that they're trying to run this on him. So it's a mm. it's a sense of showing you that this is how competent I am at what I need to do, and I'm willing to do the things that need to be done. And Claggett is not someone who's going to be able to take you as far as I can take you. So gotcha. that, that's okay. what drives the conversations between a lot of them. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I like the bathhouse scene. Um, I think that they, it's another example of the show doing its layering really well, which is that Al is in there to do the sort of con on the two junkies that he's got laying in the tubs after they get high. And he's going to do the short, uh, short straw, long straw game because he has to kill one of them because he can't give over both of them to uh, the Chinese because that will spark a race war, as they seem to think. 
Um, and the, it's in the bag for Jimmy. Jimmy has been determined to be the one who has to die. Uh, Al's done that algebra in his head. And I think that scene is just effective. I think they do a really good job of... The scene is kind of heartbreaking because the two junkies are both kind of shitty characters, but Leon yeah. is clearly the worst person of the two of them, right? But he's yeah. not the one that can go. So the actor who plays Jimmy is really great. He always calls Al Mr. Swearingen. He's kind of meek and mild. Mm-hmm. Um, he's relatively polite. He has that scene where he gets thrown out of the balcony and he's he's sort of like, he's kind of like comically pathetic, but you feel bad yeah. for him in a lot of ways. Yeah. And Leon is really settling in the bathhouse scene into like the, we're fucking, if in case you haven't noticed, we're fucking white and we don't, we don't give ourselves over to the chinks. And he calls Al Al all the time instead of Mr. Swearingen yeah. and stuff like that. Um, and it just culminates in this real thing where you feel terrible for Jimmy and you just hope that Leon's going to die. But Al, as much as Al hates Leon, he can't kill Leon. And so it has that fantastic sort of culmination where he's, he's drowning Jimmy and he yells at Leon. He's like, I don't want to f- smell your fucking stink or whatever, uh, just mm-hmm. because he dislikes him so much. And then obviously punches him at the end and tells him not to call him Al. <laughs> and that's the end of it. But I think they just do a really good job of layering your like sort of audience perception of like he's the wrong guy to die. But in terms yeah. of what has to happen, it has to be Jimmy. Mr. Swearingen. Al, we are good and fucked up. We are fucked up, Mr. Swearingen. What have we been saying repeatedly, Dan? Al's a good guy. That's you fucking allow us our works here and us periodically fixing the entire time we're in the fucking tub after how we inconvenienced you and fucked you up. Fucked up our own fucking lives from the time as a fucking child. Well. Thank you, Mr. Swearingen, and you are a good guy. Thank you, Al. One of you is going to have to apologize to Wu. Uh, apologize. I'll apologize. Bring that slant-eyed bastard over here. He can get in the fucking tub with me. I'll apologize. And then I'll kiss him. And then I'll tie him off. And I'll shoot him up. And then I'll blow him. With fucking soap. We're going to draw straws. To see who goes over to see Wu. We go there. I withdraw my volunteer. I am comfortable where I am. You're going to pick a straw, Jimmy. Yeah, they. and on top of that, not only do they lay it on thick with Jimmy, but Al plays it so close to the vest that um, as he's doing the straw game, I legitimately didn't know if he was fixing it. You know, like yeah. if, if he was, if this was like, if he was trying to get across to Jimmy that he was going to be fine or what, like I, I, I wasn't sure what, what he was going to do. Right. And I think they, uh, they, they, they played it, laid it out pretty well. And I mean, Jimmy, Jimmy knew probably Jimmy knew, but probably the smartest he's ever been in, yeah. this, in his life is in this scene where he's just like, eh, can I see those straws? For- yeah. 
<laughs> well, yeah, he, I always think the the moment he knows is when he asks if he can get high one last time before yeah. he draws straws, and you know yeah. he knows that that's it's in the the bag for him. But yeah, he's he wants to see the straw. He's like, when you say apologize, <laughs> what, <laughs> yeah. what does that mean exactly? You think I wouldn't talk this over with Wu before I came over here, Jimmy? Uh, but yeah, and it's the uh, the early scene with Jimmy and Swearingen's office is also great because it's very similar to when he talked to Persimmon Phil and he has the like keep lying to me like you've been lying mm-hmm. since you got in here. Um, also throws himself over the, the balcony. S- is this the second time someone has shit their pants in Al's office? <laughs> they make him nervous. Al makes everybody yeah. nervous, according to Jimmy. I did. I did really like when he. Uh, I what I learned in this episode is that lying causes cat piss smell. Yes. Yeah. I was very sensitive to smells when he's upset yeah. between the farting and the cat piss. I just like Jimmy. Jimmy I've shit my pants, sir, Mrs. Swearingen. I just, I just wanted to let you know. Before. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna crawl over. I don't, I just, I can't stand. I don't want to stand up. It'll make it so much worse. <laughs> he's like, I got a splinter the length of my arm. Mrs. It was like, it was like the scene in Austin Powers where he he dunks Will Ferrell into the the flaming pit. Yeah, yeah. Where he's like, I'm not quite dead yet. You shot me. Why did you shoot me? <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Uh, so Jimmy's gone. Uh, he, we knew him not too well. And then Leon is back with Tolliver. Uh, who's, Leon is instructed to tell Tolliver what he saw there, which he saw a fair uh, procedure, I think, in his words. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just really like that scene. I think, it's, I, think it's, I think it's shot well. I think McShane is excellent in it. I think the, the actor who plays Jimmy Irons is really good. Um, and it's just one of those. It's a... Uh, like I guess the question to you is like how conflicted is Al? Like I, I always wonder if I'm reading more into Al's confliction with killing Jimmy than is actually there. He yeah. seems to not really mind killing him. I think that the show is just making you really hope he kills Leon and Leon yeah. cannot die. Yeah. I think ultimately I don't know if he's conflicted about it. He's probably just pissed off that he has to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I mean it's he's he's probably less pissed off that he has to kill Leon than he is the fact that basically Psy has kind of got one over on him. Yeah. Yeah. By by playing doing doing his own algebra about the situation. Right. But Leon thinks he's so comfortable with him like he can sort of talk to him as an equal and stuff like that it seems to irritate uh, That was uh speaking of being comfortable, that was my favorite bit from Leon where he's like I am more than happy to apologize to Mr. Wu. He's like, you want to go over there? And he's like, no, fuck that. I'm I'm comfortable. You bring him here. Yeah. I'm not going there. Yeah, you know, he says, blow me with soap a couple times. Yes. And I, don't, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know. He says, you bring him over here and I'll blow him with soap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's... Um, uh, Leon's very... Uh, despicable and unlikable but he he is very pompous in that scene uh, he gets out of it fairly fairly well gets to even keep his um his drug paraphernalia and stuff um yeah and then outside of that just we have the short scene with doc we got the short scene with bullock and everything like that we got the the, the ambulator walking club is attempted yeah to be that's i <laughs> i was trying that's another one i was trying to parse out where i'm like i don't think i'm alone i think i am with the other characters in this scene and not knowing what the fuck he's talking about because he was so <laughs> verbose and flowery in his yeah. language that like I, 
It's what men of I, culture do. They walk they yeah. walk places just for each other's company. I found it so funny how averse they all were to forming a club. Which <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't join clubs. <laughs> yeah, it's um, Merrick's a very Merrick's a person that I feel I run into somewhat frequently. Maybe not somewhat frequently, but there's like there's always that person who's like who wants to formalize something for some reason. Mm-hmm. It's like, this doesn't have to, this doesn't have to be very formal. We can just do it. Uh, I think Saul was the one who brings it up. He's like, we could just walk. We don't need a, we don't need like a gym membership or anything. We can just do it. <laughs> and, I, and I like that Merrick's sponsor was like, oh yeah, no, definitely. Totally. But I mean, if we had a name, that would be <laughs> the ambulance. That would bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, the, I, I always thought that, I thought that whole scene with the the buffet and the the restaurant is funny. Just how, to show how crowded it is, everything's shot very tight. Like they're trying to pack the the lens yeah. full of stuff, and Merrick bumps the table up a couple times. Like every time he stands up, he bumps into the table. Um, walk as they're walking, they're starting to step over like the drunks and stuff who are mm-hmm. just outside, and they're bumping into people. A lot it's, of people coming. Just to good. But I actually thought as they were walking and as they were talking about that. I thought what Merrick's angle was was going to be, you know, there's there's only one restaurant here. Why don't yeah. Why don't we pool our resources and open a new place? Yep. No, there's, they're just getting by with that one. I mean, Farnham must be making a ton of money. Oh yeah, he's got to make a handle. He, he doesn't need these scams. He's got a legitimate enterprise that he could fall back on. Um. And just to, to tie into EB, I, I like Al warning him about he can't steal any of this money because he needs to know exactly yes, how much yeah. money the politicians have when he when he gets mm-hmm. called to take them to task. But and I, I love the little detail when he says this guy's name's on here twice and he's like, well, give him two envelopes. That way I have something on him yes. if I ever need it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, licking the licking the money. Um, yeah. But the, the walking scene is, is neat because it uh, it's very funny. And it captures the kind of like real interaction you'd have with a person who wants to form a little club about walking and doing all that stuff and being overly eager. Uh, but it also, you know, the show is smart enough that it ties it into the Reverend at the end where Saul and uh, Seth are happy to take Reverend on a walk back to his tent at night. Mm. And um, it just captures a kind of like that. That scene is really nice. They talked about that scene in the uh, the Deadwood Bible, the book I read that that was um, apparently apparently that's like either one or two takes for that scene they rehearsed it and then they did that quickly and mm. um it was apparently a very moving scene for the crew to shoot apparently a couple people in the crew thought it was uh, one of the best scenes that they had done i like it um it's it is you know it's the sadness of seeing the reverend at his bottom as the rest of the town is coming up around him um mm. it's the first time you get a good look at his eye too and to see what yeah. is, what's happened to his eye and it's just that the, um, you know, the the philosophy is basically like you don't have to force things like Merrick. Uh, the relationships will just develop on their own and feel more natural and feel more right. Where walking with Smith to bring him home uh, feels more like it's something that has to be done and ought to be done than to form a little walking club with Merrick to talk about nothing. Um, so it's that. It's just it it shows where like the true relationships are bubbling up to the surface in a way that those who try to rush them might not necessarily have the 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 right idea in mind even if they have the best intentions reverend mr swearingen your new piano plays wonderfully ain't it delightful 
Dave, go get a free touch from Wanda. Huh? What's the matter with your eye? I'm not certain. Something's been amiss the last week or so. Anyway, he's not wanting to give offense. Would you mind me asking you to frequent another joint? No, no, I understand. Man of the cloth slows business down, huh? I understand, certainly. The Reverend overall is really good in this episode, and that, that, that final scene when he's explaining to them how he th- he doesn't recognize them and that he 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 knows that they have to, if they're not his friends they must be devils or, or yeah. whatever it is yeah is just so heartbreaking because like you can you can feel the fear that he's keeping the lid on inside him yeah it's the first he time he admits to, that he's scared he hasn't admitted yeah. that he's scared before this yeah, and it's it's just a knockout performance from this guy as the Reverend overall. Yeah, this show is just so. There's not a leak, a leak wink, a weak link in this cast. You know, everybody is just killing it. With everything they got to do. Yeah, the, the yeah, power the, of the character actor. Yeah, that's, that's right. No, I maintain. Are, I maintain. I think Bullock is the probably the least impressive performance in the show so far. Yeah. Why would you? I guess why would you say that? Like, I think that there, it's. It's clear to me that Milch uh, changed direction halfway through where I think the original idea was that this was going to be a season that was much more prominently about Bullock and Swearingen showing off oh, yeah. against each other. And yeah. uh, he decided once he realized that they have this larger ensemble to go in a more different path with it. And I think that that led to a softening of Swearingen and it kind of put Bullock less in the lead role in in a lot of ways but yeah i don't mind bullock um i think it's i think he's fine it's just yeah why do you it's think like, he's the, the sort of the weak link of the group because i i think my weak link is Joni stubbs but it, it's not like she's awful or anything in the role so maybe it's the same as your bullock take yeah i think i think with bullock the thing is he's got a little bit of batman disease which is if you're in a batman movie and you're playing batman You've got like minimal latitude with what you can do with your character, whereas whoever's playing the Joker is just stealing the show every scene. Right, and so you've got my, you've got you end up with your movie where Jack Nicholson as the Joker is in seventy five percent of the movie, and Michael Keaton as Batman is in twenty five percent of the movie. Right, because he's just more engaging to watch. And I think the problem with Bullock is just that he's 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 the archetypal western hero type character which means he's a little bit uh he speaks a lot less and he's very sort of down the middle emotionally and he's put into this situation into the show where he's surrounded by characters that are just pretty vibrant and and fun to watch yeah and so he just you know you're you're interest is just naturally going to swing to them yep. versus him i think so yep. it, it doesn't really surprise me that much that they sort of adjust readjusted their their focus yeah book Bull- doesn't speak as much which makes him a little bit less interesting um or at least compared to the other characters like i think that they the the scene where he's walking along and he he gives E.B. Farnham the sort of like the idea that he wants to form a dump and stuff like that is a good example mm-hmm. like farnham is so clueless and talkative 
that he kind of steals the scene from it. But all Bullock has to do with there is sort of glare at him. And E.B. Farnham has that line. It's like, he's like, Mr. Bullock, you seem like you might want to wring my neck or something like that. <laughs> um, Bullock's, Bullock's internal characterization is... Um, I think it's interesting, but it, it's harder to capture on film or whatever, or video or whatever, yeah. what is driving him in a lot of the way. So like he... And it seems like they've toned it down since the first couple episodes, which really focused on the fact that he has a hair trigger, or like a, a temper, mm-hmm. basically, mm-hmm. and uh, is a little bit hypocritical in what he chooses to do. They've touched on it, but it hasn't been really central to it. And and mostly, like his the the situations that draw that temper out of him are not like a plotty Swearingen trying to figure out how to keep Wu and Tolliver happy at the same time. It's much more of a like someone has done something that upsets me and, and I I need to rectify the situation. So, yeah, I think, I think they're giving him a little bit more to do or, or at least angling that way with introducing his, his family into the mix. Cause that little scene he has here where he talks to Seth about, sorry, talks to Saul about what, like, what is he doing with this family? Is he just, uh, the, the thing about his brother looking down on him from heaven and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff, I think that's pretty good, and that that adds an, a a, um, a dimension to that a, a character archetype like his that you don't see a lot yep. from those types of characters. Well, I think it fits into and, his. He's the person who feels he has to do what is the right thing to do, right? His book, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how that expands as the show keeps going. Yeah, I mean, because it's a. Uh, as the relationship with Alma has to develop, right? He has to make a choice there about do you mm-hmm. do do you do the right thing or do you follow your heart, for for lack of a better a better expression. Um, and Bullock's justification about it will be Bullock's justification. But they, yeah, they they it is those two he, sides of him. He's he's the kind of guy who is just going to go punch people, but he's also paired with I've written up a a standard operating procedure for how we're going to run the dump yes. <laughs> in, in this town. And it's, that's the, it might not be the most captivating character work, but that's what Bullock is in this show. Yeah. Every scene with him and Alma, I just imagine in his head is just, my mind's telling me no, <laughs> but my body's <laughs> telling me yes. Mr. Bullock, is that your six shooter? Um, We see Alma for a little bit in this one, just at the cafeteria, the, the buffet yeah. scene, I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> was Charlie saying, you got a real fucking dirty mouth, mister. <laughs> what is that guy say? He says, what does the guy say to Merrick? He's like, get your, get your ass get your off. ass off my shoulder or something. <laughs> and then when they're outside, he's like, Miss Merrick, I just want you to know your ass was nowhere near your shoulder. I had the angle. <laughs> <laughs> Merrick, he's, Merrick she's this is funny too. He's like, he's like, he's like. No matter the proximity, I, I appreciate, I appreciate your, your your support or something like that. It's good. Um, <laughs> I want you to know your ass is nowhere near his shoulder. Uh, I guess that's so it. Any, anything else that you want to bring up? Um. Oh, just uh, with the doctor. Uh, the scene where he's he's looking at the at the women. All time final line to 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 leave a room on, which is when he says, "You know, when you giggle, you leak piss." <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. 
that's a uh it's a it's a a tough job he's got and the the horrors have a tougher job i i would assume yeah. but yeah it's a uh doc cochran is um is trying to trying to hold the world together there in terms of what that is uh we meet the tit licker in this one too i don't think we saw him before maybe we did we he have run out we have right? yes yeah. yeah we just he uh i think i think it was the episode with flora yes the flora episodes yeah. he's he's telling her brother about him or whatever <laughs> i was like sanderson he's like the tit licker <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you make me stand out here with a degenerate tit licker he, he was, i was gonna i was the, whenever you uh when i <laughs> i was thinking of his line whenever you bring up uh buffy the vampire slayer and we're talking about something you bring up buffy i was mm-hmm. i was just i'm gonna think now in my mind i begrudge that pervert his capacity for happiness <laughs> <laughs> Totally fair. Totally fair. I'd be grudge that pervert his capacity for happiness. I do. Them people worship a fat man seated on his ass. That's it, I guess, then. I don't think we've talked about I think we talked about everything that's in this episode. A little bit of a short one, but it is one of my favorites. Um, and we're going to be moving into the last two episodes of the season. Do you have any final thoughts about this one, Clay? Um... No, it's good. It continues to be good. It's a, uh, <clears throat> I think my memory of this show, uh, from the first time that I watched it, and maybe it's one of the reasons that I didn't go back and watch it more often, is because I think my memory was that it was a, a little bit, it was a little bit of a tough watch as yep. far as far as like absorbing stuff. But going through it the season so far this time, I've been really surprised at how smooth it is for the most part like the stuff that they're doing obviously is tough in in that it is not pleasant a lot of the times yeah but the i think the way that they present it is pretty pretty slick and it's just it is funny enough and enjoyable enough that it it goes down pretty easy yes yeah i I would agree I, i i find it to be a um it's not a stressful watch, really. Right. Like, yeah. Even, even it can be in parts. In parts. But overall, it's not. Yeah. yeah. Overall, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's not a show that fills you with like dread or anything. Yeah. It um, it has a lot of comedy in it. It has lighthearted scenes. It has there is the sadness and things like that that sort of follow and flow through things. But it, overall, it's I find it fairly um enjoyable to watch. I um, I have taken to um. My recommendation for people is that like because because what you were talking about with like the um, the Silas plot and stuff like that, I do notice that I have seen the show a bunch of times at this point. But one thing that strikes me is that it's kind of what you were saying that their language will occasionally make things seem as if it is more complicated than it really is. Yeah, but the plots yeah. are not super complicated really like right. the, the only thing that we have going on here is that al is upset with the magistrate for charging him more money and he has to figure out how to get silas on his side it does seem more complicated like it seems like you're almost missing something because of the way that they're talking to each other but it's not a labyrinthine um murder mystery mystery box type story yeah. like things are pretty simple and what i find is is helping is that i do watch the show um if people are having a harder time sort of sinking into it, maybe you haven't made, if you are having a hard time, you might not make it to episode 10, but 
I do find it extremely helpful to watch it um, the second time that I do for the podcast with subtitles. If you're just watching it, I might recommend that people would watch it with subtitles because mm-hmm. the subtitles do simplify. It, it shows you the language for like what they're actually talking about without sort of distracting you with their vocabulary too much. So it might sound counterintuitive, but if you can read the words that they're saying, I feel that sometimes it sinks in a little bit better as to what they're talking about if you can see the words. Um, so I would recommend, if people have a harder time sinking into the show, I would recommend watching it with the subtitles. I think it does add a little bit of clarity to things. And um, sometimes characters just say things very quietly in the show, yeah. and it, it's yeah. hard to tell what they're what they're saying. So. It's also just strange, like with the the magistrate. Is that the magistrate? Is that the yeah, uh, magistrate yeah. Claggett. I think it is magistrate Claggett. Yeah, the Claggett thing is interesting to me because, as I was saying earlier, the murder warrant aspect is so almost like a throwaway line when Al brings it up for the first time in the last episode. Yeah, because the focus of the of the of the Claggett stuff is paying bribes to keep the government out or or whatever friendly to them keep the government friendly right and so you would think that the easiest course of action to advance this story of claggett being uh uh, dirty would be to lean into that aspect of it so it's like when bosch shows up it's like, oh, shit, okay, now we have to do more of a kickback to him to do this thing because that's the thing they've been talking about the whole time, right? Yep. Like the, But they choose to do it with the throwaway murder warrant thing, which if you're not paying close attention, you might have missed in the last episode. Yep. And in this one, they barely even mention it directly, so you might not have any idea what they're talking about. Yeah, they, they only mention it at the very end of the episode when uh, after the murder of Jimmy. That's when... That's when yeah. Al sort of bluntly states everything that's going on, uh, which is that he's being quadruple charged or whatever for the thing. Yeah, I, I, it's the um, my deeper interpretation of it is that like the the bigger issue to Al is not just that he's being charged more money; it's an idea that like there is no end in sight at this point to the bribes. Yeah. Like you, if yeah. if 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 Claggett is going to keep coming. Um, immediately after they've already agreed on something, what's to not say that he comes back in another week and says, you also owe me even more money for the right, same thing? Yeah, yeah that's, that's the problem with a bribe. Yeah, <laughs> and so there's that. that's what's building on, on Al's uh, mind. But yep, that's it. So I would recommend doing all that. I still continue to really love the show. I think it's very funny. I think it's um, I think the, the performances are just really excellent uh, with everybody. Um, the weak link, uh, be it Bullock or Joni Stubbs, is not anything that distracts me a lot from it. And even um, as characters fall off, I still enjoy things like Cy Tolliver and um, Eddie Sawyer and stuff like that. What do you think about Eddie's big plan? How do you, how do you, could you remember how this goes? <laughs> uh, I do not remember how it goes, but I can't imagine it goes well. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll check in back Also, Also, how much is he planning to steal? Because he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rob Sai to help stake you in a new joint, and then he shows off that he he swiped her pocket watch. Yep. Like, yeah. does, he get, <laughs> does he have like a trillion dollar coin on him at all times he's, that you're gonna grab? Or he's something? just gonna do it over the course of a million shifts. He's just gonna take yeah. a little bit of money here, a little bit of money there. Also, if Sai Tolliver 
loses, I don't know, let's say $10,000 mysteriously, then all of a sudden Joni Stubbs opens up a place yeah. down the road that costs, I don't know, let's say $10,000. Yeah. I think he's going to put that together real quick. You would think. He's got to, he's, Joni's got to get a place outside of the town line, town county line or something, I think. <laughs> Tolliver. Well, we'll come back to him in a little bit too. Uh, I like the scene with him and Al in this one. They, they kind of sum up mm. the, uh, before we go, it's just the final thing is just reminding me is they, they kind of sum up the difference with them there, which is that, um, uh, he said, Al says something about, uh, he, like he lies, cheats and steals, but at least he's honest about it. Mm-hmm. And to me, that kind of describes the difference between Tolliver and Swearingen. That's a, that's a key difference between them where I, I, yeah. I mentioned before is Tolliver is a character who does bad things and gets people angry at him and is cruel to people. And then will always try to justify himself when they confront him about it and al does not do that yeah that's it that's fair so final line and the final quote i'll go out with you can't cut the throat of every cocksucker whose character it would improve which is something to li- words <laughs> words to live by thanks everybody for listening patreon.com slash the penske file if you want to support us there something pretty is over there at uh, patreon.com slash the penske file all the shows are at the penske file.com clay do you have anything you want to say uh, check out Rotten Horror Picture Show, where myself and Amanda talk about movies off the Rotten Tomatoes 200 Best Horror Movies of All Time list, and also the Badass Podcast, where myself and Sean Murphy talk about Batman the Animated Series. Batman, do-do-do-do-do. And um, I think that's it. So, Something Pretty's Mr. Wu episode. People tell me I don't say the name of the podcast enough, and that's a habit of the Star Trek podcast, which doesn't really have a name, so I don't say it at all. <laughs> but I'm just going to cram it in now to the ending of this episode just so people know what the name is. Is there an audio SEO thing? I'm hoping. Just keep I'm hoping it Google over is and over go- again? Yeah, I'm, Google's got to develop something where if I just say it, it'll. I won't have to write these words anymore. It'll just hear it in the language and go with it i you know speaking of audio seo and google like pulling from audio we were playing around with the chat gpt thing kind of uh making fun of ourselves the things (laughs) the things that it was writing was disturbingly accurate to things that you and i would actually say it's good at it it gets you know that there's a um I have a podcast newsletter I listen or I subscribe to, and they came out with one that uses chat GPT technology, but it makes a podcast out of it. So it will give you basically the chat GPT script, and then it has audio AI read the voices for you in the podcast, and you tell it what to talk about. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yep. So I, uh, goodbye. The, goodbye. Uh, <laughs> this is our last recording of, of the year. When you guys hear our next Deadwood episode, we won't get any of the facts right, but it'll sound like we know what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, uh, I, um, I got it to, to relay the story of my trip to Jamaica, yep. which I have not told on this show yet. <laughs> Plug it into that podcast AI. It'll give you a yeah, great involving, monologue. involving watching a woman walk away from a free plate of fish. <laughs> And the chat GPT thing came up with a line that is legitimately one of the funniest things I've ever heard, which was, uh, 
I really applaud the amount of self-control it has. It confidence, takes to walk right? Wasn't it? Uh, the amount of self-confidence <laughs> it requires to walk away from a free plate of fish. <laughs> it's very good. Yep. <laughs> Chat GPT. Unbelievable. Something pretty brought to you by Chat GPT, who's going to be flooding the internet with bad, bad information in the next couple of years. The unfortunate thing, which keeps it from really being fun, is that it doesn't let you do things that are uh, uh, less than wholesome with it. Yes. Yeah, that, that is. And, and sometimes I even I can't even, it doesn't even play along a little bit. Like I give it something yeah. somewhat dirty, but I'm like, you can probably play with this. And it's like, no, I'm not going to, I don't do that. Yeah, I, I tried to, I tried to have some fun with it. And I, uh, <laughs> I, I was um, trying to, write up an exaggerated version of the the story of of sean driving too fast and being pulled over (laughs) and i added i wrote in driving 200 miles an hour through a a school zone waving a gun out the window (laughs) and it didn't like the gun it would not it would not (laughs) let me do it (laughs) it it didn't care about the speeding though right because it does no no that was fine just doesn't like the gun yeah yeah well i guess chat gpt is on sean's horrible ethical side in this argument Mm. (laughs) um yeah so you can listen to our chat gpt podcast you can support us on patreon which is run through the silicon valley bank at this point i'm sure that'll be fine and then we'll be back next week with jules boot is made for walking thanks very much for listening see you next time that you missing pharaoh dealer you're drinking over he just threw up in my office had you been sharing space with him a while only long enough to find out him and a fellow dope fiend works for me Robbed and murdered a chink opium courier. Leon, Leon, Leon. Second best thimble rigger I ever saw when he wasn't chasing a dragon. You do realize I'm presenting you with a mutual fucking problem. Which I suspect's a little ways down the road, so I'm waxing philosophical. Do you tell me what the fuck you want? I made a deal with the boss chink to give him one of the two dope fiends. Do I assume some piece of the opium this courier bore was intended for you? So, you got a reason to keep the chink boss happy. I don't, so I can stand on principle. What's your fucking principle? A white dope fiend's still white. I don't deliver white men to chinks. Leaving me with a bag of shit to hold. Maybe you should think harder about trafficking and fucking junk. I'm a purveyor of spirit side dope fucking included and when chance affords, a thief. But I ain't no fucking hypocrite. I think we're done, Al. But in my line, I'm used to certain types thinking they need the last word. No, my last word is the fucking bagman's here from Yankton, so get up your fucking share.